Welcome, everyone, to another episode of What Exit Jersey Stories. I'm your host, Nick Franco, and with me, as always... I'm Peter Riario, and go ahead, Wally, introduce yourself. Yeah. My name is Wally Van Shriek. Uh, uh Right now, I live at the Jersey Shore. I used to live up in North Jersey. I used to work up the show place back in the days. Great. And, uh, you know, on that note, let me, you know, just say that... Uh, when you think of, oh, I love. By the way, I love your guys' introduction. That was pretty good. Thank ben, you. Ben was rocking, definitely. Oh, thank you. Basically, one of the other gentlemen that uh, engineers uh, for, for the podcast studio, he did it for it. Uh, he uh, uh, put that together for us. Uh, he, he's got a uh, local band as well. Yeah. Oh, very they, nice. Very nice. They, they play at the Stone Pony, which I know you've played, uh, Wally, yeah. as well in the past. Played there, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Played in the past. Yep. Yeah. So. I just want to, you know, all our listeners out there, when you think of iconic New Jersey rock clubs, names are usually thrown out. I would say the most common or the most frequent ones are Stone Pony in Asbury Park, The Saint, Asbury Lanes in Asbury Park, um, the now gone Maxwell's in Hoboken, which actually featured Nirvana at one time. Um, So what if I told you that this unassuming small rock club in Dover, New Jersey, population 18,000, let me show this. Hold on. I'm going to try because we uh, can you see that? That does that look familiar to you, Wally, at all? Yes, it does. It yeah. does. Right. <laughs> sure does. Well, Dover, New Jersey, population 18,000. That venue featured some of the biggest musical acts of yesterday and today. Here's the list. It, it's really remarkable. Bands like the Ramones, Blondie, Talking Heads, Slade, Leslie West, The Runaways featuring Joan Jett and Lita Ford, uh, Cheap yep. Trick. Judas Priest Slayer, and uh, one of the most notable trivia facts, if you uh, play Trivial Pursuit, <laughs> maybe this will be a question. It was Kirk Hammett of Metallica's first gig. I want to say that was 1983. Do you know, Wally? Yes. Um, yeah, it was 1983. 1983. And I just yeah. want to say, you know, we are so lucky today to have someone knows a bit about the inner workings of the show place. So please uh, say hello to Wally Ventrique. He managed the show place. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Wally, it's um, from 1976 to 1978 and then from time to time well into 1984. Yeah, I worked then. I went back to college. And uh, when I came back from vacations, I would work at the club then, you know, certain. And, you know, whenever they needed me for a big act would come in and, uh, you know, they would you know, no problem working. You had a good relationship with the owners always. Right. You know, Wally, I, I mean, just reading the history of this place, it was remarkable to me how – um, maybe you want to go into how it was two brothers. Is that right? Or like just a little bit of, um, what do you, what, what is your knowledge of the beginnings of the show place? Um, okay. What it was, it was, um, it was two brothers and one of their longtime friends, uh, who was basically the majority owner, um, Larry Gribbler. And, okay. uh, then there was Steve and Ben Schiff. There were the two brothers. Um, and when they decided to open up a club and, uh, it was at, at, at that time it was called the scene. And when they had, they had purchased it, they changed the name to the place. And they started out as a, you know, as a disco at first and uh, had a big dance floor. And, you know, they did some disco bands like uh, the tramps, Gary Tom's empire. Oh, and then. Uh, oh, Inferno. Uh, right. and, and for people who don't know the tramps, I mean, they wrote disco Inferno, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. They were yeah. Big. They were One of the big. biggest disco hits of. Yeah. Yeah. And so what happened was, was, um, they decided to have a, a rock band in there the night before Thanksgiving, which is one of the typically one of the largest nights in, in the North Jersey club scene. Oh, yeah. And they ended, up, they ended up having another pretty face. And, and so, I don't know if you, I don't I'm know. Sorry, if you well, and, and that was like back in 1975. Is that right? That was 1975. Or? Yes. And all of a sudden, instead of only a couple hundred people came through the door, 800 people came through the door. 
Wow. And they were just they were just amazed that, that they would have that they would have that many people out to see the band. I said, okay, well, let's try it again. So they decided to have them again, and the same thing happened. They had a, a ton of people, and that time, they were actually they were actually a glitter band, another pretty face. They ended up uh, recording albums, and their album got held up in uh, some for some sort of legal issues. But they were like the biggest draw on the uh, North Jersey club scene by far, and uh, they played all around, would sell out every place they went, and uh, then. Um, what happened was was uh, somebody asked him, well, "Why don't you get Leslie West in there?" Okay, mm. and Leslie West had been, you know, I, I, I was only I was just in high school. Mountain was one of the biggest bands going, and uh, oh, yeah. mm. so you know they they went and had Leslie West, and it was just packed. And they said, "We're going to change over to rock." So they just started to change over from disco to rock at that time. They they yanked the dance floor out. Um, you know, um, at that time I was still in college, and then when I came back um, on vacation. That's when I started working there full time during the summer of 76. Right. And you know, uh, go ahead. Oh, it just did. And I, you know, I, I did such exhaustive research of what, whatever last nook and cranny of the internet uh, had about the show place. And I, another pretty face, what I read was that Tico Torres of Bon Jovi was their original drummer. You know, he was, he was actually, he was, it was actually when they came, the original drummer uh, oh. was called Brazo. Oh, okay. And, uh, Tico Torres came later then. Yes, he came oh. much later. He came, he came after the, the original band broke up around 1977, 1978. And it was just T. Roth, the singer. And it was T. Roth and another pretty face. Right. Um, they, they weren't as, they didn't have the draw that, but they were able to um, put an album out. And Tico Torres was in that band. Okay. Oh, okay. Got you. Huh. Yeah, second generation, um, basically, of uh, another pretty face. Yeah, and actually, I, I got the job through my sister. My sister had got had been working there and uh, as a bartender and, and a cocktail waitress. And mm-hmm. my, you know, and she was saying, "Hey, you know, all these different bands are coming into play." And she even dated um, she even dated uh, the bass player from Another Pretty Face, um, huh. Charlie. And uh, so it was uh, it was good. You know, they were they were they were an excellent band, and uh, but they were but they didn't their record could not be released because of legality issues. Oh my. <laughs> and, lost in the history books <laughs> right so right. yeah so while so, so the owners of the show place right you had larry gribbler and i know he recently passed away yes he did um, yes and then you had so and so Stephen benchiff were the brothers right yes uh-huh yes and and i'd read that larry had a career in plumbing and so his yep. childhood friend um steve schiff they, they partnered up and they invested in the show place in yep. dover new jersey um, and then I know after the show place ended and was taken over, I, I believe so that it became a go-go bar, but in the back they had the recording studio. Yeah, that was right? later on. They've always, they, they've always had the go-go girls. They've always had the dancers there. Even when, when I worked there, oh. during the day you'd have the dancers, and uh, at nights you would have the bands. I didn't the bands. know that. Oh, wow. Yeah, the, dancers, the dancers would stop at 8 o'clock, and right. then you'd have the, then you, you know, the, the, the stage was in a big uh, – the stage was huge, by the way. It was a huge stage. Huh. It was like a 30 by 20 foot stage. Okay. Oh, wow. Uh, which was which was very deep, and you were able to you were able to stack different bands. You know, when a band would come in, and you know, you, you stack up their equipment from you know the headliners' uh, equipment. You know what I mean? It was that big where you could do that? Huh. Um, but um, what happened was is like I said, you know, like my sister had got me the job there, and all these different bands were coming in, which was great. You know, and um, and you know, I was you know saying, wow, I said, look at this, and then all of a sudden, um, when I first came back from college, the very first band that I was working with was Slade. Hmm. And they, oh, were, wow. they, they came from England. Now Slade up, up a couple of years prior to that, you know, they were on, they were on, you know, they, they didn't have the internet back then. They had like, um, you know, midnight special. Uh, Don That's Kirshner, right. Don Kirshner. Yep. Yes, you know, yes, I mean? I so, 
And so only prior, only maybe a year, a year or two prior to that, you had Slade on there doing Goodbye to Jane and, you know, um, you know, Mom, we're all crazy now. And they were, mm-hmm. they were like a huge hit. And all of a sudden now they're playing. And they came on and they were absolutely stunning. I mean, they were just so professional. And uh, the sound was just absolutely perfect. And actually they came back. That was in May. They came back in um, in later on in uh, July, the end of July, and recorded uh, some. They recorded um, a couple of shows, and they used some of it for the uh, live slate volume two. Oh, sweet! Wow. So yeah, yeah so, so, so some of the tracks on there are actually from the show place and from the show place. Yeah, yeah. And they had a they had a big they had a big um you know they had a big like uh you know uh truck outside that had you know that the whole the recording equipment in there and uh it was incredible but what happened was was um at that time too what which really helped ele- us elevate us as a club was we hired a guy by the name of joe berger and uh he um designed and ran the sound system there which was state-of-the-art back then no club ever had a, had a system like this and this is talk like uh-huh. 1976 and i'm talking he had bins you know the of uh you know, and you know, bins and you know, just the walls of sound and huh. you know, tremendous. And this pl- bands wanted to play there because they had a huge stage and you had a tremendous sound system. Then Larry had invested in lights, so you had a tr- you had a, tr- a professional light show then too. Because at, at that time, whenever you had a big band coming in the beginning, we would rent out a lighting system. This way, it was it was a lot better for us to to buy the lighting system and then you know have some have one of us run it. Mm, right. Wow. For some really remarkable. Band. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and I've even read well, when I go online because like you know, Facebook does have like a, a page dedicated to the show place in Dover, but you'll yeah. see more than a few posts in there where they remark about how incredible the sound was in there. That um, right. you know, there's you know very few venues where you're just uh, amazed at the acoustics and you know in a, in a particular club. And I guess and you know I've seen that um, Joe Berger is a, you know he's a, a presence on uh, the. Uh, the, the, the NAM convention, which goes out yes, to LA. Yes, yes, um, and he's, he's been in for like, like it's going on like 43 years now too. Right. Oh yeah. And it was funny because he would, he would come in there and he'd just be, he'd, he'd just be in the dressing room. He set up a uh, Marshall lamp in there and uh, he'd just be in there playing, you know, all day long. And he would, and you know, bands would come in and, you know, some bands he would leave other bands. He would just hang there. You know what I mean? Uh, it was, you know, but, uh, it was time for him to run sound. He just had a right ear for it. And, he, you know, he had the system set up perfectly for this. So, wow. Oh, beautiful. Really remarkable. I was going to um, say that, that had to be one of the big allures of coming to the show place then, you know, like for, for that, for that sound system and for the, you know, for the lights and having it all, you know, that the band didn't have to bring their own or rent or, you know, <laughs> pray that the sound was going to be good enough. Uh, oh, right. yeah. Definitely. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, and that sound system, I, I mean, it, it lasted until I stopped doing bands. I mean, it lasted, you know, um, for a good, you know, close to um, good 15 years. You know, this was terrific, though. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was and, reading, um, and, and, you know, that this this one quote I read of, uh, I think it was, I believe it was Larry who uh, said it uh, when he was talking about the Metallica you know, uh, first show with Kirk Hammett at the show place in 1983, he said, and I quote, I, I think we paid them between 500 and $1,000, which is probably like what some cover bands may have been making back then, uh, never sure. knowing 25, 30 years later that Metallica would be in that king spot of heavy metal bands, Gribbler, yeah. Yeah, Larry Gribbler were called. Um, then he also says a story about Blondie, Debbie Harry, and that's going to lead right into what Wally's going to tell us something. <laughs> Debbie Harry came out in her pajamas. She looked great. We had maybe 20 people in the room. Can you imagine that, seeing Blondie with 20 people? Uh, we we never did her again, is what Larry says. But you had an encounter, right, uh, Wally, with right. um, 
with De- Debbie happened, Harry. What happened was I, I think the Ramones were playing there. Um, the Ramones came out and, and the whole scene broke in the summer of 1976. You know, the whole punk scene out of New York. And right. we were like we were like a club in New Jersey that were doing a lot of these bands. We're doing uh, the Ramones, doing Blondie, doing the, the Dictators, doing the Dead Boys and yep. uh, on a regular basis, too. I mean, television. And so um, I'm and back then, you know, the DJ booth, you know, you'd put on an album side and then just flip it over. You know what I mean? You wouldn't be, you wouldn't be changing songs out, especially in a club like the Showplace. Mm-hmm. And usually we put on bands or you were becoming we put on their albums, either bands who would play in the club or bands who would be coming in. And uh, this nice artsy looking couple comes up to, next to me and they asked me if I could play, play her 45. That would be uh, Debbie Harry, Chris Stein from Blondie. Mm-hmm. And wow. you know, and, and no, and nobody, nobody really knew who they were back then. You know, I mean, especially in New Jersey, and that was the first time I can remember that Blondie was ever played in New Jersey because you know they weren't on the radio then. You know, I mean, you, right. didn't, get, you, didn't, you didn't have punk rock on the radio back then. You know, I wonder I mean, what but, the forty-five single was. <laughs> you probably don't oh, remember. It was, right? uh, it was uh, in the sun, in the sun, oh. and in the sun, and ex uh, ex offender. Very good. Wow. You have a great yeah. memory. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 would... still, I, still have, I still have the 45 today, I believe. Wow. Somewhere, somewhere, uh, That's fantastic. But, again, you know, but, but, you know, like I said, and then we started bringing all these bands from New York and some bands from England also, you know, had heard about, you know, had heard, you know, through their booking agencies and whatever. And so we, and whenever they came on tour, we would get them. Like we had, um, we had the dam coming and they played. Oh yeah, I know. You know, um, Eddie and the Hot Rods. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there, I I, yeah, there were like a few punk bands. I I think I even saw that. Like oh, us. a lot. We had a lot, a lot of punk bands. I mean, um, yeah. You know, like I said, the Dead Boys. Um, the Dead Boys. Steve Bader's, I believe, is in that. Yeah, band? Steve Bader's and yeah, yeah and uh, Cheetah Chrome. Um, and then what you'd have, you'd have certain bands that would follow them would have their own bands. You know, like a girl by the name of Helen Wheels. Uh, she hung out and had her own band, and she used to write songs for Blue Oyster Cult. Well, wow. she was friends with wow. the Dead Boys. She was friends with the Dead Boys. So when she played, she had Cheetah Chrome um, from the Dead Boys as her guitar player. <laughs> you know, and you know, which was which was which was tremendous. You know, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. and everything. So uh, that was good. And you know, like I said, you know, I had a lot of bands from England coming over then too that were trying to get it. And you know, bands like the Cramps. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Yes, absolutely. I yeah. very. They were like art. I remember. I think it was like. What was very kind of iconic? Their album covers, I believe, uh, for right. the Cramps, you know. And then you had a, then you had a scene in New Jersey, um, in Central New Jersey, right in Morris County, called the Moco scene, where there were local bands that would play there, bands like TV Toy, um, the Royals, and you know, and um, Fast Car was a couple of there was a couple of bands like that, and they would have their own, and they were like like local punk or new wave bands, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, um, you know, they they're more like new. Um, you know, TV tour is more like New Wave, but they're all excellent musicians. You know, I mean, all those guys, you know, I mean, the, the Royals were like uh, very rocking, you know, um, you know, punk style. You know what I mean? Like, right. the, way the, like the way the dictators were in a way, you know. OK. But, you know. And now how did the punk bands like treat the venue and did the crowd that they draw? Was it a little crazier than maybe, let's say, you know, when like the Runaways were there or something, or Leslie West. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and, yeah. There, there were some that were like that. I remember, I remember when Ramones first played, and they they went on, and they, you know, people didn't know what to expect. I mean, you know, you heard a write up about them and how they played in the club, and you know that and everything. They were loud and everything, and within they, when they, they played, about ten people started walking out after the first song, during the first song, <laughs> you, know, wow. and, you know, and they're doing Blitzkrieg Bop, you know, which oh. was the <laughs> song, you know, like their best songs. Yeah, exactly, you know, and then. And they end up coming back there and playing, gosh, at, 
at least a dozen times over the next few years, you know, I mean, um, and I got to become friendly with, you know, you, become, you, know, when you work there, you become friendly with the crew and the bands too. Mm. Um, you know, like Robert Gordon would come in. I don't know if you ever heard of him, a tremendous singer. He, he did a, he did some work with Link Ray, uh, rockabilly sound, has a terrific voice. And he, he would always, always come in and just, you know, you know, be very nice and everything cordial, you know, typical professional, you know. He came in originally with a band called the Tough Darts, mm-hmm. which was a punk band. And then he had his own band come up and he had Rob Stoner who played with um, with Dylan as his bass player. And like I said, Link Gray was a uh, rockabilly legend from the 50s, you know. Huh. I, I know the name for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'll look up the song yeah. Rumble by Link Gray. That's that's him. And uh, hey. yeah, that was on that. Yeah. But yeah, you got to uh, here. I'll show you. Uh, as long as it doesn't you can see there's the Ramones. I want to say yeah. that is the showplace stage. If I'm, I might be wrong about that. I, I believe when I pulled it up, uh, but yeah, that I, when I look back at the, you know, the bands that played um, at the showplace, that same names kind of kept coming up. Like the Ramones had been there just countless times. And I yes. would imagine Leslie West probably played there often. Leslie well, West right? played there quite a few times. I mm-hmm. first, band he, first band he came out with was absolutely outstanding. When I first saw him, he it was Leslie West. Um, his rhythm guitar player is Mick Jones, who would later be in Foreigner. Right. Right. And then he had uh, Kenny Aronson uh, from Stories on bass. And last but not least, he had a Carmine Atmosy on the drums. Wow. Like Vanilla Fudge. And, and, um, you got an all-star band there. Wow. And, and, and Robbie's music uh, uh, commercials, if you remember uh, Carmine, uh, Carmine and Peace. <laughs> Robbie's yeah, the- exactly. Yeah. Drums and cymbals. Actually, actually, my band did a show with him back in the, uh, back in about, maybe about, 15 years ago, but down in oh, South Carolina. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, and actually, we, you know, he, one of the things was me and the my guitar player got up and we played um, Such on Your Love with him. You know, we oh, from Cream. Because he, he wanted to do it, you know, he was doing a drum clinic and then he, we would, you know, we would get up and we did a number with him and then we would get, up, do, get to do a song, you know, a set of our own later on. And, uh, you know, and everything. And that was, it was tremendous that he was there in that band. But uh, Leslie West was, Leslie West and then, and then little by little, Leslie, Leslie had some issues back then. And um, his mm. band kind of like dropping as, as far as quality went. And um, but I remember one time it was on a Sunday afternoon. And um, and, you know, we knew he was coming because he was coming to get paid. He was, was going to get an advance. And uh, he, dropped, he comes up with this guy and um, this guy says to him, um, you know, all of a sudden he goes, hey, just give the money to him. You know, now this is the mid 70s. This guy shows up like a 66 uh Ford Galaxy, you know, and uh, we kind of run down and stuff like this. And we had we had a, a, guitar, a guitar set up through the PA already set for Leslie. He said, hey, Leslie, you want to try it? Oh, he goes, nope, don't have the time. And he just like blew us off, you know. Um, <laughs> Joe, oh, Berger wow. had, Joe Berger had it set up like that so he could come in and just do that, you know. But um, like I said, you get to become – and these bands come in late, you know, a lot of times. You get to know them and their crew, like um, Ramones, Arturo Vega. I don't know if you know – he did their artwork and designed their logo. Oh, okay. I didn't and, know. Okay, yeah. And so you know, I mean, you know, we get we get shirts from different you know different um, companies, you know, like with liquor companies or whatever, you know. And there's a product we were pushing, and uh, I gave him a shirt. He traded me a Ramones shirt for it, you know. And so huh. that was nice, you know. And you know, not too many bands had their own had their own had their own stuff there then, you know, like mm-hmm. shirts and everything, you know. I mean, hats and everything. Ramones Ramones would come in with arms full of shirts and hats and to sell, you know? Oh, that's cool. I was going to say that that probably was a little later. I think uh, more bands started, you know, doing the merchandising uh, as far as yeah. like the, the shirts and uh, mm-hmm. other. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, but Ramones were like one of the first ones to have to do that. You know I mean? Like that. And, uh, you know, they're, they're innovators in more than one reason, you know, but they basically took rock and roll 
And like I said, they, they, they stripped it down. They turned it up and put it in fourth gear and away they went for two and a half minutes, two minutes, you know. And I, it was like, for me, it was refreshing because mm-hmm. at that time, at that time, what you had, on, you know, you had, and even though there were some good musicians and everything, you had bands like Yes and, and Pink Floyd and some of these, some of these, uh, type band, and they would, they would have 15, 20 minute mega songs and you'd be bored, you know, <laughs> they, they, put the, they put the single back, you know, and right. they put the single back, you know. Yeah, those just great uh, short punk rock songs that, I mean, had, uh, you know, more ferocity and power in them than some of these, like you said, 15-minute opuses, you know. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, you know, I'm, you know, I'm believe me, it's some, believe me, there's some good musicianship in that. But, you know, I mean, how long can you listen to it for, you know? And uh, you're losing some of your audience, you know? I mean, definitely, in my opinion. Right. And... um what the, as far as like bands are concerned that were there, are there were there any like personalities like really stood out to you? I mean, in a positive way, or someone that was just always a pleasure to deal with? Uh, like um, you could even say like the whole band entity, or or a particular personality in a band, whether it be a singer, guitar player. I mean, if there are any memories that come to mind of oh, like, like I was saying, like let's say before, like Robert Gordon, he would always come in and acknowledge you, be very nice about it. Hmm. T. Roth from Another Pretty Face, he would come in and he'd be doing that. But one of the biggest bands that had. The rapport was Blackfoot. Oh yeah. Now Blackfoot, Blackfoot at that time, you know they uh, they you know they uh, a couple of guys had been in Leonard Skinner and um and then they they were like they played around locally a lot and they really didn't they really didn't care for our place that much in the beginning and you know because they had they, they had a relationship with other places mm. and uh and one of our uh, competitors their place burnt down and they had no place to play so they had to come to us in the area and then they come in and they said wow listen to this I mean. We, they have this tremendous PA system. They have this tremendous light system. You know, how come we haven't been playing here all along? You know, and you know, and uh, at that time, then they they, they started. You know, they, they already had the popularity. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. And they came in, and they were like, you know, they were like very friendly. And they'd even come in on certain nights when they were, um, other bands were playing. You know, and they were off. You know, which was nice to see that. You know, and that would happen a few times. I mean, different people would come in to see different bands. You know, like I said, Debbie Harry and Chris Dunn came to see the Ramones. Um, oh wow, David Johansson. He would come in to see different bands, you know, like that. Um, you know, I mean, uh, there's, there's, you know, there's a couple of, like when we had um, Southside Johnny, there were several members from the E Street band there. The same thing we had um, the band that did Eddie and the Cruiser stuff. Um, mm-hmm. they, uh, <laughs> uh, John Cafferty. John Cafferty, right, in the Beaver Brown band. Well, they, you know, they had a lot of, a lot of um, E Street members come to see them. And we had no idea this place was packed. You know? Yeah. What do you remember, you know, like your first day there? Because you got the job through your sister, like you said, who was bartending there, right? Um, right. So do you remember like your like what was your the first week or the few weeks that you were there? And who was the first band that you saw there on the showplace stage? Okay, the first band I saw over there, and I was still in college at the time, was Leslie West. Uh-huh. Okay. That's a good okay. debut and, for and, you. Yeah. Know, I mean, you know, my sister said, you know, I was home for a weekend and she goes, Hey, you know who's playing at the at the club where I work at she goes, Leslie West. So, of course, you know, I get in there for free. I go in with her and mm. everything. And, um, you know, I, I started to talk to the owner a little bit. And all I know is the place was packed, you know. And, uh, and I said, wow. I said, and they, and they were, that was that band that I told you about. That was the all-star band that he had. And they played. And they were tremendous. Oh, and that's right. Where, came, yeah, that, then, that was um, when we had Mick Jones on guitar and Carmen uh, a piece yeah, on Carmen drums. Or, on drums Apathy, yes. right. Yep. Yep. And uh, so what happens it was, uh, was, you know, during that time and, you know, while I was still at school, they did Thin Lizzy played there. Oh, a couple of, oh, a couple of oh. Quick, Quicksilver Messenger Service played there. You know, I mean, you know, some 
you know, you'd have bands like that. And um, so when I came back and, and I came back, the very first band that was there was Slade. Mm. And I'd come there and Slade, you know, I mean, I'd, <clears throat> I'd be out in the um, parking lot, you know, and checking for cars and, excuse me, and a Wait. few other things and checking stuff at the door. And then when the band came on, you know, I was right there on the side of the stage, you know, watching them. And, you know, because I, like I said, I was just home from college and that was my part-time job. Mm-hmm. And then, um, then they asked me if I wanted to work there full-time about a month, about a month later, they asked me if I wanted to work there full-time and I was working just basically weekends. And um, then I said, yeah, okay. So I, I started working there full-time. I took a full-time job. I said, let me do it for the summer and see if I like work, like working here. Right. I ended, up, I ended up not going back to school, you know, and uh, then um, a couple of years later, I did go back to school. But still, I mean, at that time, I was 21 years old and I'm, a lot of these people that I'm meeting and everything that, um, you know, they, like people that I was like, you know, I was like fans of theirs, you know, and also they're playing. They're playing where I work. They're playing the club I used to work at. I work at and and what it is, I'm like on a on a name basis with them, you know, mm. I mean, can I get me anything, you know, um, you know, I'd go to pay them at the end of the night, you know what I mean? You know, I mean, and everything, and, you know, they come to the office, you know, you're either that or managers. Um, but one of the, one, one of the times that, that summer, it was pretty early in the summer was, I uh, remember Tommy James. Yeah. Tommy yeah. James and Shondells, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, he was he, that time, you know, he was like very on in his career and he had this thing and um, he just put out a new album and uh, he was uh he was selling copies of it, you know, at, at a mall. And we went there. There's only, only a few people there. And so we said, hey, listen, you're playing at our club later on. You want to go next door? You got something to eat? Maybe have a couple of drinks. Me and Larry and Larry's wife, Marilyn, went. And uh, so here I am with uh, with Tommy James, who was, uh, was an idol. You know, I mean, oh, definitely, wow. a fan, definitely a big fan. And so <laughs> yeah. he came back to the club that night. And the songs that he played were rocked up versions of the hits that he had. And he was just outstanding. Just outstanding. Tremendous. You know, I mean, um, you know, just had a tremendous, uh, you know, I mean, to see that like that, I go, wow, this is really exciting to be a part of it. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, I know you, you said like, you know, the highlight for you in, in terms of, you know, favorite bands that, that played the show place that you saw, you mentioned Slade. Who else would you throw in that, you know, if you had to name a few other bands that just really blew you away with their performance? Okay. Well, who we were always excellent was a band called the Good Rats. Oh, they Yeah. Were- yeah, they were they were out of they were out of Long Island and they would they would play and um and they would you know they they come over and we built them up a lot in New Jersey. They would come over and we had them open up for Slade, we had them open up for all, you know a lot of other bands and mm. uh and all of a sudden and they would and they would they would definitely uh and their and their following grew. And they ended up having several albums. I mean they they had an album on Warner Brothers when they first came here, you know, and um wow. and everything and, and they were they were they were absolutely outstanding, but they played a lot, you know. I mean mm-hmm. um you know, I mean, there was, um, like I said, there was a lot of bands that that, that I saw that, like, they're, they're on tour, and they might have been, like, the opening act for, like, a three-act bill, you know what I mean? And they were on tour, and they would play with Ross, you know, um, and they, you know, they were okay, but there were some bands, like I said, you want to know a band that would blew me away was, um, did you ever hear a Rat Race Choir? Yes, actually. They, and yeah. they were, were they Jersey-based, or they were from the, uh, Long Island, or? Long Island as well. Now, they were a cover band, but they were, like, but the, the versions they would do of their songs would just blow anybody away. You yeah. Know? I mean, you know, people would see them and they, they said, my gosh. And actually a couple of guys ended up, um, a couple of guys from that band ended up touring with John Hessel and Whistle from The Who. Oh, wow. You Crazy. Know? And yeah, yeah the, drum, the drummer did some work with them and so did the guitar player, you know? And um, so that's always, that's always, you know, neat to see and stuff like that. And, you know, you wish people like that a lot of luck, you know, when they, when they go further like that, you know, and, hmm. and what they did. Um, 
<coughs> and I imagine that, like, you know, bands like Thin Lizzy and, and um, Leslie West were also pretty tremendous live, would you say? Or? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. Uh, Leslie West, you know, he was, you know, powerful. You know, they were mm. definitely powerful live. You know, I mean, Blackfoot was powerful live. Um, you had some you had some people that were just do performances that you would um, unbelievable. But uh, Rory Gallagher, he was an Irish guitar player, Irish blues guitar yep. player. And he had uh, so much tremendous amount of energy. He came on and he played he played a two hour show, you know, from start to finish, you know. I mean, wow. and then after that, when his band was moving out, he's up in the grand piano that we rented, and he's up there playing the grand piano for a half hour, 45 minutes. <laughs> wow. You know? I mean, just you know, because it had a tremendous sound, you know. Yeah, in my research, I I saw that Rory Gallagher. I'm sorry, Rory Gallagher played there back in 1977. Like you said, an Irish blues guitar player. Yeah, and it's remarkable what an influence. I mean, I don't know how. I mean, how many people know that? I mean, the, the name. I'm sure, like you know, if you're in musical circles, you definitely know the name Rory Gallagher. But outside of that, but just his significance on um, on rock music, he was Brian May. Um, and his friend, and now this is when Brian May pre-Queen, um, he asked Rory how he got his sound, and Rory mm. showed him, um, you know, Rory showed him, in other words, on his guitar, oh, this is how I, you know, I get my sound, and Brian May said that his future sound was actually shaped by Rory, um, huh. and Rory really? Gallagher was on, he's on the Rolling Stone magazine's list of 100 greatest guitarists of all time at 57th place. Exactly, exactly, you know, so, no and he, he was absolutely tremendous, you know. I mean, another guy who was who was good like that that actually blew me away mm. was um, Rob Buchanan, blues guitar player. Oh, you know I actually I mean? know. Yeah, and, and he and he and he basically was a guy. He he shunned the spotlight. He just wanted to play clubs and play his uh, hour and a half set, mm-hmm. and uh, tremendous, you know. He came out, you know, he's perfect. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. People that gave these perfect concerts at times, you know, and everything. But you have Rory Gallagher, who is so high energy. That's for sure, you know. Um, you know, definitely crazy but yeah i mean you know and i I haven't even what's so nuts is like you know in that intro i mentioned like all these bands i've even like covered the other people that played the show place you know i I think i'd mentioned talking heads but you had chuck berry who said duck walked on the show place stage um john entwistle actually who you were just speaking of played a solo gig there while he was on hiatus from the who um Mm -hmm. and jack bruce of cream played there as well now was that halloween night um yes it was was halloween night and um you know, he came out and all of a sudden he's doing he's doing the um, he had the voice of cream. There's no question about oh, it. Yeah. He was a mm. singer, cream, you know, more so than Clapton was. I mean, mm. but and, you know, you come out and he'd be doing, you know, a lot of the old cream numbers and you listen to the voice and you're so haunting. You know, I mean, you wonder you wonder if they were ever going to get back together. You know, and a lot of us, you know, who worked at the club um, wanted them to get back together. You know, I mean, at that time. But, you know, I mean, Clapton had his own thing and, you know, and everything. And same thing with Ginger and everything. But it was just a pleasure to see. Uh, Jack Bruce play. Now, um, there was a band that opened up for Jack Bruce called Shanghai Sideshow. And believe it, they were no opening act. They were like, did all like uh, pyrotronics and everything. And uh, they had a guy come out and he was like, uh, like contortionist in a way. And he was their lead singer. And, but he was just always all tremendous stuff. I mean, um, he'd come out with this song. He said, Rats are my friends and have a rat be crawling around him. You know, he'd sit in a, an electric chair and have to go take, get a jolt. You know, I mean, uh, but, um, but, but you know, but and but that was that was Halloween night, you know. So we were we were, we were whatnot, and um, 
but but Jack, like I said, Jack Bruce was just tremendous. You know, I mean, you know, he, the way he came out and everything. And uh, I had him sign. I had you know, I had a lot of my albums signed by some of the guys back then, which okay. were nice. You know, tremendous. Um, definitely. Yeah. You know, so. I'd even read that uh, the band Blue Angel uh, played the showplace, which that was fronted by Cindy Lauper, apparently, before she broke out as a solo artist. They mentioned uh, in one of the articles I read that they had played the showplace, but maybe that was back like in the disco days, possibly. I'm not sure. No, well, what it was, was what it was, like, see, it was, it was a strange scene back then. Disco came out in like 1974 or so. A lot of the bands that were rock clubs, all of a sudden I come home from, I come home from college and they're discos now. And I couldn't understand it for the life of me. And then, then it just goes scene started to die down. And then what, what brought it back was um the Bee Gees in that movie, um Saturday Night oh, Fever. Saturday Night Fever, yeah. Right. Yeah. And they and they brought they brought it back because disco was dying at that point. Because like I said, the show play started off as a disco. And they changed they changed it over in late 75, early 76. Mm. You know, and then and then and then when the, um then it came out and we were we were competing with disco techs with discos back in, in yeah, like Studio 54, right? In New York City, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, now I, I wasn't there, and I didn't see uh, Cindy Lauper's band play there. But you know, I mean, actually, from from what I understand, I think she was a drummer too. I I'm, I I, I want to say you're right on that too, right, Nick? Or yeah, that that I, sounds very familiar to me. Or yeah, yeah. Uh, it was funny. Right, I, you know, I read a quote from Larry uh, Gribbler where he said, "What we found was that the disco crowd was not a heavy drinking crowd, and the kids, of course, were dead broke." So, <laughs> yeah. That's, that, that's such a funny, I mean, thing, how that transition happened, right? You know, where you had um, that, like the disco sucks, you know, mo- um, quote uh, that, that uh, people started to adopt. Uh, I, I, was re- I saw a documentary yeah. recently about how it, the Bee Gees documentary, in fact, mentioned that. And, you know, um, yeah, it just became like a mantra for a lot of people where and that's what the Bee Gees kind of got run out of town after a while because they were seen as a joke and everybody's saying, you know, yeah, disco sucks. And it wasn't hip to like disco at that point anymore. And I imagine that that really opened a door for bands like the Ramones, right? Where, I mean, there's just this incredible punk energy, right? And all these local kids uh, that would, um, you know, get together to to see them uh, at these various venues, including the showplace. And, and, you know, you got to remember like punk rock, when it first came out was all, not all that popular. Same thing with new wave. You had the misfits in life, the outcasts. Yep. Who were their fans and not 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 the, not the everyday people and everything, but then then after a while they did get more mainstream and you know they, they came out with a couple of, a couple of very you know potentially commercial songs you know I mean uh, you know Sheena is a punk rocker I perfect mm-hmm. single song you know it didn't get the airplay it should have but you know it did uh, I think it did break the top forty if I'm not mistaken in some areas you know uh, but you know that that could have, that should have been like a, that should have been a top ten song in my opinion mm. now Glenn Danzig, I mean? Glenn Danzig and the Misfits never made their way to the showplace did they um no, Parson, no. yeah I, I didn't I see i didn't see their name um on there and um and so, so what were your duties would you say like oh, first of all let me let me before i even uh ask that who did the bookings for the show place do you know yeah larry did larry did and larry did and how and did larry while, i mean how was larry able, go ahead i'm sorry go ahead. no i was just wondering like how, how was larry able to get like did the show place, in other words, sell itself that you're able to get such an incredible caliber of artists there, you know? Well, you were dealing also with, you know, agencies like premier, premier agency. You know, they, they did a lot of the bookings for a lot of the clubs and a lot of the clubs and concert halls. Now, you got at, at one time we got blocked by having quite a few acts because um, John Shear. Oh, yeah. Booked, I remember who booked, who booked the Capitol, which is a larger venue than ours, said, hey, yep. listen. They, you know, they, they would tell these bands, hey, you play at that place, 
you're, you're, you're don't even bother coming to me, you know, looking for a job. You know what I mean? Wow. You know, and, you know, and there's, there's, there's things like that. Um, and there, there are only a couple of clubs in New Jersey that were doing, that were doing bands like that, like recording acts every weekend. There, there's maybe us, there might've been city gardens and, and uh, city gardens in Trenton. Yep. But they, mm. but they, but they were a lot smaller venue, you know what I mean? And there was a lot of places they were, they were not doing it that, that did have the room. We're not doing it. You know I mean? Like that, but we were and like consistently we're bringing different acts and, and different types of acts, not just punk. We had like um, one weekend we had um, um, Buddy Rich band play, Buddy Rich orchestra oh, play. Wow. You know, and every drummer, every drummer you know, who was around had that night off. Oh, you yeah. Know? I believe every, it. Every drummer, every band, you know, you know these guys in different bands and everything, and they'd come in, you know, I and mean, that was it. Mm-hmm. You know? And during the week, you know, we, we prided ourselves in being an original club. I mean, you know, I mean, during the week, you'd have the local bands that would do the originals, you know. Um, and so it got known as a place you could play your originals, you know, for a band coming up, you know what I mean? But, um, but like Larry was booking the bands, and, you know, and there, 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 there's a couple of different, uh, People, like, you know, he find out we find out who was touring, you know, uh, how are these people doing, you know, I mean, like that, um, you know, and uh, certain bands would be um, coming into uh, New York to play and everything. Like we had, um, we actually had uh, Devo at a very good time when they played because they were on Saturday Night Live like the week before. I, I've seen and that performance, in fact. And we had, um, we had, um, what's the name of the band? Um, they did uh, Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell, right? Oh, yeah. Meatloaf, when we booked Meatloaf, they had like the, they, had, they had a couple of the top ten songs in the country. Their album was their album was in the top ten, you know. But they, it wasn't like that when we booked them. When we booked them, they, it was it was way down. But by the time they played at our place, they were they were they were, they were at the top. You know, they were at the top. Of the, uh, you know, so it was, sometimes you have good bookings like that. Yeah. And, you know, word, spread, word spreads too. You know what I mean? You know, like bands from like uh, the New York City bands a lot. You know, the bands that played CBGBs and Max's Kansas mm-hmm. City back then, like the Ramones and Blondie. They'd be going back and they'd be saying, t- telling different people, "Hey, you know." There's a place in New Jersey. Why don't you check that place? So we'd get calls. We'd get we'd get calls from a lot of different groups and uh, you know organizations that wanted to book their bands in there, and um, you know as well too. You know besides us looking for bands because we you know we'd be looking for different bands. Are these people touring now? You know, I mean, mm. um, and we actually um, we actually had a uh, we inquired about getting a Russian there. And oh, uh, get out! It, it, this is like 1976, and uh, but that's that, that's we were blocked by John Shear. We wanted to get. We wanted to try to get Johnny Winter in, blocked by John Shear. But uh-huh. we got Edward Winter. Edward Winter played there. Yes, oh, I did Edgar. see that. Which that's yeah. big, you know. Yeah. I mean, Edgar Winter. Edgar had some. Oh, yeah. Great- Absolutely. Yeah, it's some really nice acts there. You're not for sure. You know, Cheap Trick yeah. played. Cheap Trick yes, played. Yes, one of my favorite time. bands actually. Yeah, and they and they and they come in when they're, they're on tour, and when they come in, their guitar player comes in with thirty guitars. You know. <laughs> yeah, Rick Nielsen, right? Oh yeah, and the roadies yeah. had him. They had him all lined up and everything because he would change the guitars almost every song, you know, just like right. the way the Stones do now. You know, when they play, they they change the guitars every song, you know. I guess for different tunings, right? Maybe. Uh... Oh yeah, different tunings, different songs. I mean, you know, I, I do that too. Yeah. You know? You know, I'm a bass player, so you know. Yeah, we we definitely want to even delve into that. I just want to show, like, I mean, you can see in this ad for the showplace, Metallica, and gee, just a little band called Anthrax. That Anthrax, was opening exactly. up. I mean, yep. and you can see like original bands, top forty bands, comics, magicians, soloists. Uh, call Larry for auditions, and there's the number. Do not yep. call that number because uh, right now the place is is it's really not, it's a vacant uh, building at this point. I pass it yeah. every single day. Really, and, yeah. And you know what's so crazy, Wally, is that 
you know, I moved here recently to Randolph, New Jersey, and mm-hmm. it's only a one minute drive down. Like, you know, I, I turn left out on the street and I'm, I'm there in, in, in under a minute at the show place. I pass yeah. it every day. And, you know, it was only until someone told me like, you know, I said, oh, that, that go-go bar, you know, I see it's vacant. It's like, it's going to, you know, it's been sitting there for a while like that. And then, you know, said person was like, do you know who, you know, like the, the history of that place? I'm like, no, you know, and then when they, when they started to mention, you know, all the, the, the crazy uh, yep. big acts that played there, I was just amazed. Um, yeah. I, what, what, what a rich history it has that, you know, I don't, it, 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 you don't hear about it often, in other words, in terms of the, uh, you know, the, the music folklore. How's that uh, for the live know, scene? So just well, really, true. really impressive. Here's That's a question true. for you, Wally. Like, yes. how, how would you at the time compare, like, the, the Jersey music scene to, like, you know, like you mentioned CBGB's, um, Wally's Kansas City, had, you know, like, to the New York scene at the time? Like, you know, what, what, was, what was the draw for a band that, you know, don't come, you know, don't play the city. Hey, come to Jersey. You know, you know, we, 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 we got, you know, we got the, uh, we got the place for you to play here. You're like, what, what, what was the, the scene difference between the two? Well, the clubs in New York, I mean, even though they had tremendous names, they're basically mm-hmm. small clubs. We had a huge place, mm. you know, I mean, you're going to CBGB's and it was very small. You walk in, it's tiny, but you know, you have the name there. You walk into Max's Kansas city. Same thing. I mean, it was a small place on the second floor of a, of a play of a, you know, restaurant and stuff. But um, one thing that we had to, that we had going with us for us was we had, um, you know, we had the sound system in there. And like I said, in the, in the PA, we had a huge stage. Mm. And um, now, you know, granted, you know, a lot of bands, you know, they, you know, they were on tour, some of these bands and we said, you know, and they basically, you know, we'd offer them, you know, probably the same amount of money, if not more, or not, you know, probably the same amount of money to play in New York, but they'd be playing at a bigger place. And it potentially could reach a larger uh, audience. Got right. it. You know, that's that's one thing. But, um, you know, on, and, it, you know, the one thing, too, I mean, and New York City sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to play. I played there a few times. Logistically, it's not it's a nightmare sometimes to go get in there, find a place to park, get your equipment, you know, bring it, bring it around and everything like that. And, um, you know, and even, even though like these bands have road crews and stuff still, it's not as easy as it is, you know, playing in, you know, playing in the suburbs. That's for sure. Right. And while I know you were you were in a band, the Chillers, are, are you still active? Is the Chillers still active? Well, we're, we're on hiatus right now because of COVID. Unfortunately, our drummer passed away. Uh, oh, sorry to ago. hear that. Now we have been, you know, we have been, you know, we had been working with somebody else and, and she's excellent. You know, we've worked with her a number of times over the years and the guitar player lives right down the street from me. We get together, uh, you know, quite often it's just, just still to keep fresh and everything, but you know, with COVID and everything, and we want to go back and record again, you know, we've recorded, you know, um, probably about nine independent albums. We have, we have over a hundred songs on YouTube. Wow. That's a oh, lot. Wow. <laughs> over a hundred originals on YouTube. And, and and the uh, band was really in, in inspired like surf garage rock. I mean, like we're like the yeah, Ventures well, we and Dick Dale. We, we played we played the show place. We called mm-hmm. ourselves a legend back then. Back you know, back in 1989, and uh, we you know we still played in the big stage, the huge PA system, the lighting system. Um, and then um, what happened was uh, we decided we got to change the name of the band. We thought that had changed the name of the band, so we ended up changing it to. I was in the HVAC business. And uh, ended up changing to the Chillers. And um, oh, good. So, oh, so then um, what happened was we thought we were trying to be the next Rolling Stones or next Cream. For 15 years, we're beating our heads against the wall. When we came up with a surf instrumental, and then what happened was that, that instrumental got picked up, and uh, it was on you know on a couple of shows and everything and like that, and um, got played all around the world. 
And uh, the awesome. second one that we did, second one we did, uh, wrote, ended up being a ended up being a movie, a, a low budget movie. And uh, we said, you know what, let's just stick with this. So we started to write more and more songs about surfing and hot rods. And we <laughs> what else is there in life? <laughs> we've actually we've actually fell into a niche niche into that, you know. And mm. actually, me and the drummer have surfed, and um, I have a hot rod. I have a hot rod to this day. I got a Corvette outside. <laughs> oh, sweet. What, what, what year? Uh, 2013. Nice, fantastic. But, you know, but I but growing up, growing up, I had a GTO. I had a, a oh, Dodge wow. Charger. You know, I had a, a 63 Impala. You know, I muscle had, cars. <laughs> yeah. So, yep. I, so actually, you know, just by I can I can write about it easy enough. The way the way not like the way you know the way Brian Wilson could write it, come up with words like that. I can do yep. the same thing with our song. <laughs> if you listen to some of our songs, you can find that on there. You know, um, and we've known each other for 40 years easily. The drummer and I, the drummer and I grew up together, and our fathers grew up together. And um, the guitar player lives right down the street from me. And, you know, we've been friends since high school, since the early 1970s. What uh, you play bass guitar, right? Uh, while yes. the band, uh, what drew you in particular, maybe to the bass, uh, as opposed to playing guitar, drums, or even maybe even singing, right? <laughs> well, actually, actually, I tried. I tried. Uh, I was a singer originally when I first started out in the bands, and then I said, "Oh, let me try. Let me try a six string." And then what happened was, was um, this guy. Um, he wanted to sell his. He wanted to sell his bass. He needed to sell his bass. He needed money, and everything. And uh, my friend of mine was playing guitar at that time. So I said, you know what? Let me get, let me get a, let me buy let me buy his bass. It was a, it was a beautiful bass too, and um, it was a Dubai, it was a Tobias bass. It was at that time it was about a seven or eight hundred dollar bass. I ended up selling it to him for like a hundred bucks, you know, mm. um, for. And so I just started I just started teaching myself, teaching myself, and I ended up taking formal lessons, and. Um, you know, and then I actually just came up and, and had done it, you know what I mean? Which is fine. You know I mean? It's, it's good like that. I think I saw in one of your photos, it was a real heavy, and I, I want to say it's a Fender bass. Um, well, it's a very heavy bass guitar. I don't know if you remember the model. I have, uh, I, have, I, have I have four Fenders. I have, um, I have um, two jazz basses and two precision basses. Okay. Now. I just know, I recognize the name, and the only reason I recognize the name of the, the model of, of that bass guitar is because they were talking about when Nirvana played um, Saturday Night Live, and I guess, uh, what's his name, uh, Nick, the bass player's Kurt Novoselic or something, uh, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he threw his bass up in the air, and because, and so Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters was saying that that is, like, it's, that bass is like, the, you know, it's a, the weight of an anvil, apparently, you know, that it came down on his head and split his head open, and that's when you see him staggering around the SNL stage, you know, these days. Because of all the bass guitar statue, that's not the one you want. <laughs> no, I, no, you, I saw pictures of it on your on your site, Wally. That's why I mentioned it. But yeah, yeah I, have a few, I have a few basses, you know, that we played and everything like that. So yeah. uh, you know, we tried to get the best equipment we could. You know, I mean, and why not? You want to make yourself sound good. You know, I mean, um, I had a guitar that I that a bass that I wanted to keep around and just use it for smashing at the, at the end of one of our songs. Mm. I never got a chance to do it. I ended up giving it away to somebody before I had a chance to uh, smash. Oh. <laughs> you could have. If you were playing bass back then, you could have given it to John Entwistle to give to Pete Townsend, you know? No, probably <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. All right. At that point, yeah, definitely. But, um, you have any other questions, uh, Nick, uh, on your side? Yeah. I, I don't want to, like uh, – I was wondering, like, what, what were some of the biggest, like, as far as the different acts that played at the show place, what were some of the biggest surprises to you? Like, you weren't expecting, like, you, uh, you, know, how, you know, how well they played, the ferocity, the uh, – the, the draw, you know, like who who was probably like some of the biggest surprises for you? Well, one of the big surprises was um, when um, I mentioned when John Cafferty, Bieber Brown Band played. We thought mm -hmm. it maybe we thought it maybe have 
we thought maybe maybe a couple dozen people at most. All of a sudden, four hundred people come through the door. You know that was that was that was tremendous. I mean, um, you, you had certain bands you knew they would draw well. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. As far as as far as whether you know, like one band I was really surprised at how much equipment they brought in was Nectar. Nectar was a German band, and they were like a very um, very um, progressive German band, and they came in with this tremendous light show that took up half the uh, half the club. Oh wow. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, that, that you know, that, like that, but they were, and they ended up playing there a few times. The next time they came, they didn't bring the big light show. Um, but we couldn't, we couldn't get people in there because it took up so much room. <laughs> <laughs> people standing on, you know, some of the equipment. And, uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I and, mean, you know, like, like Larry said, Larry said, I think it was over exaggerating a little bit when he said Blondie only had 20 people. There was more than 20 people there, but, yeah. um, you know, but I think he was exaggerating a little bit. Um, I was surprised that it didn't draw as well because Blondie, Blondie was a known name at that time. And they, they didn't draw as well as they could have, but right. um, still, still, they, they're, you know, they're very professional. They came out very, very good. You know, I mean, there's no question about that. Um, you know, <clears throat> did, did, did you ever get put into the position of, um, you know, you, you had books, you know, act, uh, let's say you, you booked one act, you know, like we'll say yeah, act X and then, well, like an hour before they're supposed to play, you get a call that, Hey, we can't play tonight. Ever get any of those like last minute switches that you had to make? Or Yeah. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to name, name, name the band um, that came in and uh, it was, um, he played, he played in three. He was a guitar player for three. And uh, oh. what happened was, is um, he came out and uh, he ended up, he ended up showing up with a broken finger. He couldn't, couldn't play guitar. Oh, oh, um, but he was a guitar player for free at that time. Um, I, I couldn't remember his name, but I mean, I'll be honest with you. Um, I was just, uh, Paul Kosloff okay. and, uh, and, and the name of his band was Backstreet Crawler. And, um, what happened was, was, uh, he comes in, you know, he, we booked him. Uh, he's a guitar player. You know, he was a guitar player for free, you know I mean? Mm. And then he comes and he comes and shows up and he doesn't play. He goes, Oh, I can't play. I got a broken finger. He should, you know, holds up his finger like that. Now that was, you know, that was, that was not very good. You know, um, <laughs> he was not all right now. Yeah. No, no, no. Then Lizzie was supposed to play a Friday and Saturday night, you know, back then you book bands, they played both Friday and Saturday night. Same thing. That's like slave played. Hmm, they played okay. Friday and Saturday. Um, oh, okay. You know, back in the beginning, that's what it was, you know, they were playing the whole weekend, you know, it was nice. And, um, but, um, what happened was, was then Lizzie, they came and showed up the first night on a Friday night and then they canceled the Saturday. Oh, you know, they, they canceled. So they left us, you know, they left us holding the bag a little bit, you know I mean? Like that. And you know, What's what are you going to do? Happened? Like, you know, like, did, did you guys like, if you want to say have like a, like a, uh, like one of those like break in case of emergency, uh, like, like call up this band, you know, hey, can you get here? Uh, you know, yeah. Then, yeah. Night? Yeah. Yeah, but it was not. It wasn't the same, you know. I mean, you have to have a major act. But um, actually, my one of my a band that used to be in right out of high school, and uh, I became friends with the guys and stuff like that. We were all friendly and stuff. And um, we had a band that didn't, they couldn't show up, and so at six o'clock in the air, at night, I said, "Hey, listen, you guys play tonight? You know, I mean, you know, you go on at you go on at nine thirty, and you know, they came and played, you know, and everything. They ended up having a good relationship with the club." And uh, a couple of guys ended up working there at the club for in different uh, capacities over the years. Oh wow! Huh. You know, um, like that. So actually, one guy, uh, Mike Mosgrove, who's a, a good friend of mine uh, back from those days, he ended up running lights. Um, and uh, he ended up when Chuck Berry played, he was in Chuck Berry's band. 
Chuck, Berry, Chuck, Chuck, Chuck Berry would show up at a club. He'd show up at a club with his guitar, and he'd drive up his Cadillac, show up, show up his guitar, and you'd have to supply him with uh, an amp, a band, you know, and, and he didn't even come with his own band. So, you know, I mean, a lot of the guys know Chuck Berry's songs and stuff like that, so it's easy mm-hmm. enough to play. You just got to know what key you're playing in. Because right. Chuck, Chuck played changes keys all, all the time. And he had you that know, big Gibson Lucille, I remember, right? That was his guitar? No, Lucille's was... Uh, no, no, that was B.B. King. King. Oh, B.B. King, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but he did, he, did, he, did, he, did play, he did play the Gibson ES-335, you know, and he, he played that. And uh, yeah, he had that. But, you know, and that's what I said. And my good friend Mike, you know, when they, they needed a band, so he said, I'll put together a band and uh, we'll back up Chuck Berry, you know? So they did, you know, and they, you know, they went over, of course, you know, like that. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, that's the way Chuck is, though, you know? We tried to get Jerry Lee Lewis there one, and uh, hmm. actually, the booking agency told us, "Don't, don't bother with him." Oh, really? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nick, Nick, uh, and I were really lucky that we went to the opening of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Museum out in Ohio um, the first day, and they had a concert, and it was just like so many greats out there, right, Nick? I mean, oh, we saw Chuck Berry, we saw Little yeah. Richard. Um, God, yep. there was just a, anybody and anybody, you know. James Brown played. Yeah, James Brown <laughs> yeah, played. Really? Right? Hart wow. was there. I mean, it, you know, yeah. it was just an amazing lineup. But um, yeah, I, Johnny I Camp, uh, John Mellencamp, uh, yep. um, uh, what's uh, Bruce played? Uh, he actually wound up jamming with a lot of the different uh, acts. Oh yeah, well, over there. He likes to do that. He's, he does that here. He does that at the shore a lot here. All oh sudden, yeah. You know, all of a sudden you just hear, oh, you know, this band was playing. And guess who came into the club and, and jammed with him? You know what I mean? And uh, you know, and you hear that you hear that quite often. You know, yeah, that Bruce shows up. I remember seeing a show at um at the Art Center years ago, and uh, it was um John Fogerty, and, yeah. and like uh, it, it was a double bill, him and uh, Willie Nelson, and it's like, hey, we found this other kid uh, uh backstage uh, with a guitar, but we want to know if uh, he can play with us, and it was Bruce. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, does that a lot, you know, and the crowd, the crowd goes nuts, you know. Such an iconic name, you know. And like I said, you know, when a lot of the bands, like, um, you know, like when um, Southside Johnny played, and you know, and yes. a couple of bands like that, you know, and you'd have people from the East Street Band come and, and seeing them, you know what I mean, and everything like that. And uh, you know, they, they could have been, you know, there's different people that came in to see different people. Like I said, you know, I mean, um, the one time um, David Johansson, and I didn't know the Dolls had broken up then. And I went, I asked him, I said, uh, hey, why don't you get the Dolls to play here, you know? And he goes, mm-hmm. oh, I'm working, I'm working on something different, you know. Now I'm, I'm, I didn't know the dolls had broken up. You know, you, you don't realize how much, you know, how much certain problems certain bands have, you know. And mm-hmm. and he came back, he played, you know, the David Johansson group, and you know, it sounded just like, you know, it sounded just like he did with the dolls, you know. Wow. Yeah. And, and for those not familiar with David Johansson, the New York Dolls, you might remember him later in the '80s. Uh, he was also known as Buster Point Dexter. Yes, that's <laughs> yes, right. Reinvented yes, himself. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very influential band, the New York Dolls, for the glam oh, scene, right? Oh, yeah. um, they were you know? that, definitely um for you know for, for you all i mean uh, what um what do you miss most about like the music scene of like let's say the 70s 80s like did you see a shift and did you go along with the tide i mean and, and enjoy it or are you just were kind of pining for the the days of like the 70s and maybe early 80s something like that for bands that you enjoyed you know seeing at the show place and outside of it well you know a lot of the bands back then you know we mentioned a lot of bands that we saw were basically based on blues you know what I mean? Like like Jack Bruce and uh, Rory Gallagher, Blackfoot, uh, a lot of the a lot of and good rats, too. A lot of her songs are based on blues, you know, and they took it to rock. Right, right? now, um, you know, when new when punk and new wave came out, 
it really, you know, it really, like I said, it brought back the three minute single or two minute single, you know, in my opinion, it did. It didn't take on the way it should have. But what, what, what did go take off on that was an offshoot of punk scene was New Wave. Mm. You know, okay. and, and a lot of those New Wave bands hit. And I didn't care for New Wave songs, New Wave, you know, it was too archy for me. I was, a, I was right. into rock. I was yes. into rock. You mentioned The Who before. You know, Who was one of my all-time favorites, you know? I awesome. Mean, you know, Got it. You know, and everything like that. And those, you know, there's three musicians and plus Roger Daltrey, and they come out and they rock, Yep. you know, and everything like that. And uh, and that's what I like to see. You know, ZZ Top, you know, I like I like them because they, you know, they came out and rocked, you know what yes. I mean? And everything like that. But now, and when the 80s came out and, and New Wave started to take over and so the RC sound, I wasn't into that. So I started to go back into to find the blues. You know, I started listening a lot more to Willie Dixon, Muddy Waters, you know, mm. I mean, and everything. I go, wow, this is where this came from. I go, this is where this oh, yeah. came from. You know, yeah. I, started, I, started, I started, you know, just doing my research on it and saying, okay, that's what, you know, I'm saying, okay, well, this is where these, this is where these guys got their influence from. I go, that's what I want to do. And so I tried to, so I went back as far as I could with that scene. And, and I missed out on the 80s scene so much, you know what I mean? Um, you know, a flock of seagulls. And there's some good bands there, definitely, but they weren't my cup of tea at that particular time. You right. Know? Understood like I said, on that. And, like I said, and then, uh, and then when I started, then when I started my own band, you know, back in the uh, late '80s, it was more of a rock band. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. we, wanted to have, we wanted to bring that back that late '60s, early '70s sound of rock. You know, and um, then we, you know, everything, you know, things change. You know, too, you know, like that. Absolutely. So. Did you ever? Do you play Joey Harrison's at all with the Chillers or no? No, no, no. They actually but, that place got wiped out in Superstorm Sandy. Yeah, I did see that. I was wondering, like, prior to that, if you had to uh, play there because yeah, your sound is like so synonymous with the Jersey Shore. I mean, that it just fits perfectly. Like it, out in California, I mean, it, it, you know, it, you you would be maybe like headlining every venue out there for the surf sound. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, we uh, actually um, I saw Dick Dale at uh, at um, at that place, Lavalette, and, and Ortley Beach, either Ortley or Lavalette. Um, oh, okay. Joey Harrison saw yeah, Dick yeah, Dale, yeah. Mm-hmm. and he was and he was tremendous. You know what I mean? You know, the king oh, of the surf God. guitar. Oh know? yeah, and, and it's Is right it on the ocean. It's right on the ocean. You know, we played it. We used to play at EJ's a lot. Mm-hmm. EJ's the place right on the boardwalk at Seaside. Played yep. at Frank and Johnny's at Seaside. You know, I mean, the Pony. Uh, you know, um, played the Asbury Lanes. Oh, very nice. That's another classic uh, venue. Oh, yeah. Great, yeah. Place. great place, you know, and uh, played a lot of places, you know, played um, a few places up and down in Jersey. So I played a few festivals, you know, and, uh, and enjoyed that. And, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun. Definitely. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So, uh- uh, Pete, do you have any questions uh, for? Uh, no, I think we're because I know we're running like low on time here. We're like, uh, did, did you want to do the, the, your uh, trivia game, Nick, or uh, not trivia? Okay, but, yeah, uh, well, although I'll, I'll uh, modify it slightly because we've mentioned a few of the clubs. Uh, oh, well, the- there you go. <laughs> <laughs> we usually well, play a game at the end of our show, Wally, where we have to uh, again, Nick. You yeah, can well, it. Uh, one of the games we like to play is J- Jersey, not Jersey, and what we were going to do is clubs you know as far as the, you know the music clubs and i was i was going to mention tri-state music clubs and you let me know whether it was a jersey club or not a jersey club okay so you, you ready to play? sure okay um do five how's that <laughs> yeah I, I was gonna say because yeah I, I had a couple in there like max's kansas city that we mentioned oh, right yeah that's out <laughs> Go we ahead. had Maxwell's. We had Maxwell's in Hoboken. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah, exactly. Maxwell's Hoboken. That was one of the ones on my list as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and some of the bands that played there was amazing, and including you, you mentioned Dick Dale. <laughs> he played it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> okay. How about um this one? How about 
Club Benet, is that a Jersey uh, venue or not a Jersey venue? Jersey venue, right in Sayreville. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it is absolutely Jersey venue. I know that was frequented by uh, yeah. Mr. Bon Jovi, uh, John yeah, Bon Jovi. And we used to go see, uh, who do we, oh, we went to go see, um, what's his name? John Valvey, right, <laughs> Nick? Oh, yeah. We saw, yeah, Dr. Dirty Back John. in the day. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and uh, other, other bands that played there were like, uh, you know, again, Leslie West, you know, some of the ones that played Motorhead, Ringo oh, Boy. Yeah. You know, Danny Elfman there, <laughs> the Ramones. Yep. You guys are forgetting the most important band that played there, my oh. own band. <laughs> oh, very nice band. I didn't know that. Famous no, band. it was Bane and the Gotham City Destroyers. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, okay, here, here's another one. Lamour, also known as Lamours. Was that a Jersey venue or not a Jersey venue? Not a Jersey Nope, that that was out in Brooklyn. I used to drive out to yeah. Lemoore's when I was like 17 yes. years old. Uh, I was a maniac and just, you know, yeah, oh, I went yeah. to see a lot of some some great, great bands there. Yeah, I, I saw a few uh, acts there over, over at Lemoore's. Iron Maiden played Lemoore's, if I'm not mistaken. Really? Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, how about, uh, you, you mentioned Asbury Lanes, but what about the Fast Lane? Was that a Jersey venue or not a Jersey venue? Fast Lane, Jersey venue. Oh yeah, uh, is, I'm 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 gonna have to go to Wallet because he knows his club, so I'm gonna say yes. Oh, yeah. say, uh, that's Asbury. In Asbury, that's okay. Asbury. It's actually that's right. That's actually that's right next to um the uh, Asbury Lanes. Right. Oh okay. Yeah. Did you throw yeah. the Saint in there too, Nick, or no? No, I did not throw the Saint right. in there. <laughs> Another <laughs> iconic venue. And and apparently at at uh Fast Lane, uh Bruce saw the Ramones play there, and he wanted to because. Uh, Bruce had also written, you know, like he's a songwriter, not just for himself but for others. And he wrote the song "Hungry Heart," and he was going to give it to the Ramones, but his manager said, "Nah, why don't you keep that one?" <laughs> yeah. Wow, I never knew that one. Um, how about the Empire Rock Club? Was I would say, I would say yes. Me too, and I think that was in New York. Um, I mean, hence the name, but. No, well, that, that that was Philadelphia. Oh, Philadelphia. Okay. okay, all right. Yeah, that was, that was a Philly club, right, right over the border. Okay. okay. So, so a lot of South Jerseyans uh, would uh, hop we, back and forth at that one. Yeah, right. How, um, sure. how about the Mud Club? Mud Club, yes, Jersey. I'm also. Oh no, no, no mud, mud, mud Club was in New York. I'm thinking about the Dirt Club. Mud right. Club's in New York. <laughs> you, you're, you're, you're correct on both. <laughs> all right. Yeah, yeah and I would have said yes. I got, so. I got both. I got it mixed up. <laughs> so. Yeah, the, the the one is, you know, you know, the, the mud club is, uh, you know, like afterwards, you know, after you add some uh, moisture to it. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, how about um, you, we, we mentioned it before, but how about City Gardens? Was that a Jersey club or not a Jersey club? <laughs> Jersey. 100 percent Jersey. Oh, that was a yeah. big, big punk venue. I remember like the Circle Jerks, Dead Kennedys would play there. Yep. Um, yeah. I, you know, we never even we never even talked about like Black Flag, Henry Rollins, right? Yeah, uh, Black, Black Flag played in show place. That was the yep. last show. I, that was the last show I worked was Black Flag. Oh, wow. get out. Yeah, that was, the last oh, was, show Hen was, was Henry Rollins easy to deal with, or I mean, you know, it really, I, really, really, they really those guys were quiet. You know, I mean, they, they, yeah. was, the funny thing about it was was they they had they had like inter interaction with the crowd and. There were guys, and we never saw it. There were guys going running up on the stage and jumping up, just diving off the stage. And uh, their last number, um, they had uh, the two of the guys on stage traded instruments, and they had somebody out of, out of the crowd come up and play on something. And uh, <laughs> you really couldn't tell that. It really, you know, it, the sound was there. That's for sure. You know. Wow. 
but they never yeah, did like any damage inside the club that the kids um for some of the like more raucous shows or no 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 not really you know we, we had a pretty good security crew and the guys were the guys were like a bunch of bikers and stuff so oh. not too many people wanted to mess with them too much no. you know? I mean, I, you know. yeah. oh but back, back to jersey uh oh, yes uh, uh, city gardens really quick uh yeah that's where dancing being that you mentioned them before pete yeah, that's where they made their debut, actually, as Dan Oh, Oh, that, that was their first gig? Yeah. And, I never knew that, huh? And, and uh, be, being that, I, I think, uh, uh, Wally mentioned Flock of Seagulls, they, they made their American debut there as well. Oh, God. Well, I didn't know that, really. Yeah. There's a trivia fact and, for it. And, and one last trivia fact about uh, City Gardens. They had a cool uh, bartender. His, his name? John Stewart. <laughs> oh, really? The comedian John Stewart? Stewart yes. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> He was the a bartender at City Gardens. That's some history. But um, I, to, to thank Wally actually for coming. Uh, you had something else uh, to add, Peter? No, just saying. You know, I, I would you know just quickly say also that the recording studio that was in the back of um, the show place just remarkable in terms of um you know who they had. And I'll just say whatever. Just a few names like Eric Clapton recorded there. Keith Richards contributing to a solo album. Um and um. Warren Haynes of the Allman's brothers of the Allman brothers, but oh my I'll, God. I'll end with that. I mean, just to show you, you know, like I said, what a yep. how iconic um, yeah. of, a, of a venue and the you know, recording uh, studio that it was. Yeah. But I, I want to thank you, though, Wally, for yeah. Uh, hey, it was a real pleasure. It was a real pleasure spending this afternoon with you guys too. Definitely, you nice too, to Wally. Definitely uh, talking to you and, and and hearing such great stories. Yes, very yeah, entertaining. Again, uh, I, I wish we all could uh, kind of just jump in a quick time machine and go back to the place <laughs> yeah. and, and, and uh, live music again. And and uh, but quick quick uh, uh, ending here. Do you guys ever think that we'll get a live music scene? Like again, I don't think like the '70s, but do you think live music will come back in some way, shape, form? You know, more more so than it is uh, now, because, you know, like I know that is sort of a, a dying art, actually. Yeah, well, you've you got to get more people involved in, in playing more. That's what you get, get people involved and they, you know, they become interested and they, they want to play and they see what else is going on. They see what the competition is doing. They see what else is doing and they, and they enjoy it. You know, I mean, that's what I mean, you have to be enjoyable. You know, when you get up there and play, you're playing for the audience. You know, I mean, and you've got to be able to read an audience. How many guys can do that now? I don't know. I mean, there's there's some people that can do that. Some people can't, yeah. um, especially when you're playing at clubs. Um, and it depends on who you're going to see. I mean, they would have, they would be very steady, you know, on, on who they're seeing. And um, but as far as, uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've seen it different. I've seen it different, though, at, at different places that we played at and everything. We'd go to some places and, and it'd be it'd be like everything would be perfect. We'd play the same exact set at another place. And uh and it didn't get a response. It was mm -hmm. wrong. We did the exact same thing. We did the exact same thing. And then it was, it was funny. I mean, there was this show that I had on that I had on videotape. It was maybe about 15 years ago at a small club in Asbury uh, called Club Jimmy. It's right next to the um, right next to Stone Pony. Mm -hmm. And we played. Okay. I didn't think, when we played, I didn't, I didn't think. I said ah, it was okay. You know, and I never saw. I, I watched the tape maybe once. You know, I never watched it again. Well, it worked out about a year ago, and um, it's on um, it, on, uh, CD now or DVD now. And I watched it. I go, wow, that was a lot better show than I remember it to be, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's funny, and you know, you, and and the crowd was into it, you know. I mean, that, and I'm surprised. I go, wow. I said, I don't remember being like that, you know. And it, you know, like I said, sometimes you know, the years, you know, your memory changes a little bit of certain things, you know, definitely. But um, right. I'd like to see. I'd like to see it back then. But it depends who's playing, you know. I mean, mm -hmm. um, you know, you go to, you go around to certain clubs around here, and it depends who's playing. I mean, you'll, you'll get a good response. 
You right. know what I mean? And you know, no matter no matter who is who's there, you know, I mean, um, you go to some places and some places, and it's better than doornail, you know. Yeah, very true. Yeah, so you we know? need to be cautiously optimistic. Maybe that music will return. <laughs> Like, I'd, 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 I'd like to see you come back like that. Live I'd, music, like yeah. good band. I'd like to see a good band, you know, I mean, uh, Me too. you know, uh, you know, I mean, uh, and a good friend of mine, um, he, uh, he played around here, um, in, uh, one time, I think in October, he played at a festival in October and it was great seeing him again because I haven't seen a live band like that in a while, you know, mm-hmm. um, the accelerators, a friend of mine, Ron Knoll, mm-hmm. um, okay. and the band is called the accelerators and they're a punk band. And um, he was, he's dated my sister for a long time and, and stuff like that. And just to see him play, was tremendous, you know, and I used, to, I used to put on my own shows back here. I mean, and everything for a while there, I called, I called the show to bash in the Bay and I'd have this outdoor festival. I had it run like about three or four years in a row. And it got to be so much, so big. We got out of control, not out of control, but I got out of hand for me to run it and, uh, and to play at it. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, you know, can't be uh, everywhere uh, at once. Yeah. No, but I, right. but I set up, I set up the I set up the PA system in the background. The, the backdrop was the uh, was the was the bay, the Boringer Bay. Oh, and you know, and had a, had a lot of had a couple of different bands come through over a couple of years, and um, and it sounded it sounded really good. You know, I had the PA system set up just right, is uh, instruments set up right, and but like I said, you know, I mean, you, you try to you try to make your own scene sometimes. That's what I tried to do then. You know, mm-hmm. you know? right. So. Well, that, Wally, thank you so much. Yes, Wally, thanks so much. We had a great time. Yeah, people want to guys. check out uh, your music, uh, The Chillers. Uh, you, you said you have a YouTube channel. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, we have we have over hundred tunes on YouTube. Uh, actually, every song that we recorded, I put a, I made a video to, to it. So oh, what sweet. you see, what you see is a video collage uh, behind the, behind the studios behind the studio song. And everything. There was some, and there's some. There's a couple of live songs on there too. You know, where it's just us live in certain clubs and everything like that. And um, you got to remember, you know, I mean, you got to remember too about bands. Now, you know, I mean, you, what kind of scene do you want to have? You want to have an original scene? You know, we have bands playing their own original music, or you want to have bands playing cover tunes, copy tunes. You know, which, which there's right. very good, you know, cover bands. But I mean, I'd rather see somebody writing their own su- stuff. In my opinion, you know, I want to see what they what they put together. Yes, Excellent. you know. And there's some excellent songwriters down here too. So, right, definitely. You know? Yep. Now, so if you can, please check out uh, the Chillers on YouTube. The Chillers, right? Chillers, yes. The Chillers, yeah. yeah. And yep. subscribe and, to the their YouTube and, channel. And, and you know, if, if you're in uh, Dover, New Jersey, you know, and happen by, you know, the, the, the show place. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> take a snapshot. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we'll do. Been a while since been up there. You, you can send it to us. Uh, you know, like we're. Uh, what exit podcast at gmail.com mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or, uh, or uh, tweet it at uh, exit what? <laughs> there you go. What exit? There you go. I like that. So, okay, <laughs> guys, good afternoon. All right. Take hey, care. Wally, have a great afternoon and thank you so much for joining okay. us. It was thank a blast. Guys, take care now. Okay. See you bye-bye. soon. Yep. yep. Take care. Bye.